0: CHAPTER FOUR, BOOK FOUR, OF ROOKWOOD. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading, by Paul Curran. ROOKWOOD, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Four, Chapter Four. THE Hue AND CRY. SIX GENTLEMEN UPON THE ROAD. Thus seeing Gilpin fly, with postboys scampering in the rear, they raised the hue and cry. Stop thief! Stop thief! A highwayman! Not one of them was mute, and all and each that passed that way did join in the pursuit. John Gilpin Arrived at the brow of the hill, whence such a beautiful view of the country surrounding the metropolis is obtained, Turpin turned for an instant to reconnoitre his pursuers. Coates and Titus he utterly disregarded, but Patterson was a more formidable foe, and he knew well that he had to deal with a man of experience and resolution. It was then, for the first time, that the thoughts of executing his extraordinary ride to York first flashed across him. His bosom throbbed high with rapture, and he involuntarily exclaimed aloud as he raised himself in the saddle, By God, I will do it! He took one last look at the great Babel that lay buried in a world of trees beneath him, and as his quick eye ranged over the magnificent prospect lit up by that gorgeous sunset, he could not help thinking of Tom King's last words. "'Poor fellow,' thought Dick. "'He said truly he will never see another sunset.' Aroused by the approaching clatter of his pursuers, Dick struck into a lane which lies on the right of the road, now called Shoot-Up-Hill-Lane, and set off at a good pace in the direction of Hampstead. "'Now!' cried Patterson. "'Put your tits to it, my boys! We must not lose sight of him for a second in these lanes!' Accordingly, as Turpin was by no means desirous of inconveniencing his mare in this early stage of the business, and as the ground was still upon an ascent, the parties preserved their relative distances... At length, after various twistings and turnings in that deep and devious lane, after scaring one or two farmers and riding over a brood or two of ducks, dipping into the verdant valley of West End and descending up another hill, Turpin burst upon the gorsey, sandy and beautiful heath of Hampstead. Shaping his course to the left, Dick then made for the lower part of the heath and skirted a path that leads towards North End, Passing the firs crowned summit, which is now crested by a clump of lofty pines. It was here that the chase first assumed a character of interest. Being open ground, the pursued and the pursuers were in full view of each other, and as Dick rode swiftly across the heath, with the shouting trio hard at his heels, the scene had a very animated appearance. He crossed the hill, the Hendon road, passed the crackskull common, and dashed along the cross road to Highgate. Hitherto, no advantage had been gained by the pursuers. They had not lost ground, but still they had not gained an inch, and much spurring was required to maintain their position. As they approached Highgate, Dick slackened his pace, and the other party redoubled their efforts. To avoid the town, Dick struck into a narrow path at the right, and rode easily down the hill. His pursuers were now within a hundred yards, and shouted to him to stand. Pointing to a gate which seemed to bar their further progress, Dick unhesitatingly charged it, clearing it in beautiful style. Not so with Coates's party, and the time they lost in unfastening the gate, which none of them chose to leap, enabled Dick to put additional space betwixt them. It did not, however, appear to be his intention altogether to outstrip his pursuers. The chase seemed to give him excitement, which he was willing to prolong as much as was consistent with his safety. Scudding rapidly past Highgate, like a swift sailing schooner with three lumbering India men in her wake, Dick now took the lead along a narrow lane that threads in the fields in the direction of Hornsey. The shouts of his followers had brought others to join them, and as he neared Crouch End, traversing the lane which takes its name from Duval, and in which a house frequented by the gayest of robbers stands, or stood, A highwayman! A highwayman! rang in his ears in a discordant chorus of many voices. The whole neighbourhood was alarmed by the cries and by the tramp of horses. The men of Hornsey rushed into the road to seize the fugitive, and the women held up their babes to catch a glimpse of the flying cavalcade, which seemed to gain number and animation as it advanced. Suddenly three horsemen appear in the road. They hear the uproar and the din. A highwayman! A highwayman! cried the voices. Stop him! Stop him! But it is no such easy matter. With a pistol in each hand, and his bridle in his teeth, Turpin passed boldly on. His fierce looks, his furious steed, the impetus with which he pressed forward, bore down all before him. The horsemen gave way, and only served to swell the list of his pursuers. "'We have him now! We have him now!' cried Patterson, exultingly. "'Shout for your lives! The turnpike man will hear us! Shout again! Again! The fellow has heard us! The gate is shut! We shall have him! Ha-ha!' The old Hornsey toll-bar was a high gate, with chevaux de Frise on the upper rail. It may be so still. The gate was swung into its lock, and like a tiger in his lair, the prompt custodian of the turnpike trusts, ensconced within his doorway, held himself in readiness to spring upon the runaway. But Dick kept steadily on. He coolly calculated the height of the gate. He looked to the right and to the left nothing better offered. He spoke a few words of encouragement to Bess, gently patted her neck, then struck his spurs into her sides, and cleared the spikes by an inch. Out rushed the amazed turnpike man, thus unmercifully bilked, and was nearly trampled to death under the feet of Patterson's horse. "'Open the gate, fellow, and be expeditious!' shouted the chief constable. "'Not I!' said the man sturdily. "'Unless I gets my dues!' I've been done once already, but strike me stupid if I'm done a second time. Don't you perceive that's a highwayman? Don't you know that I'm the chief constable of Westminster? Said Patterson, showing his staff. How dare you oppose me in the discharge of my duty? That may be, or it may not be, said the man doggedly. But don't ye pass, unless I gets the blunt, and that's the long and the short on it. Amidst a storm of oaths, Coats flung down a crown-piece, and the gate was thrown open. Turpin took advantage of this delay to breathe his mare, and striking into a by-lane at Duckett's Green, cantered easily along in the direction of Tottenham. Little repose was allowed him. Yelling like a pack of hounds in full cry, his pursuers were again at his heels. He had now to run the gauntlet of the long, straggling town of Tottenham, and various were the devices of the populace to entrap him. The whole place was up in arms, shouting, screaming, running, dancing, and hurling every possible description of missile at the horse and her rider. Dick merrily responded to their clamour as he flew past, and laughed at the brickbats that were showered thick as hail and quite as harmlessly around him. A few more miles hard riding tired the volunteers, and before the chase reached Edmonton, most of them were nowhere. Here, fresh relays were gathered, and the strong field was again mustered. John Gilpin himself could not have excited more astonishment amongst the good folks of Edmonton than did our highwaymen as he galloped through their town. Unlike the men of Tottenham, the mob received him with acclamations, thinking, no doubt, that like the citizens of famous London town, he rode for a wager. Presently, however, borne on the wings of the blast came the cries of, "'Turpin! Dick Turpin!' and the hurrahs were changed to hootings, but such was the rate at which our highwayman rode that no serious opposition could be offered to him. A man in a donkey cart, unable to get out of the way, drew himself up in the middle of the road, Turpin treated him as he had done at the dub and at the napping jigger, and cleared the driver and his little wain with ease. This was a capital stroke, and well adapted to please the multitude who are ever taken with a brilliant action. Hark away, Dick! resounded all on hands, while hisses were as liberally bestowed upon his pursuers. End of chapter four, book four.